Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I woke up at 5 a.m. Put on my camouflage. Wiped off my 243 and fired up my Dodge. Headed out to my old deer stand back in the pines. Gonna get me a 10-point buck with 11-inch tines. I'm a backwoods boy. Grew up on a dirt road. I'm a backwoods boy. No better place to go. Hey, Jim Strader here, and welcome to hour number two of Jim Strader Outdoors. If you're just joining the broadcast, we've been talking a lot of fishing tonight. Fishing is ahead of schedule. February was very kind on certain days. As we move into March, it's going to get better and better. So we hope you're able to get out and enjoy it. Going to change gears here a little bit. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Cronus. Scott. Um, let's talk about wildlife a little bit and some of the impacts that this warmer weather has had. I'd like to start with deer because, well, let's talk about the antler drop and then we'll talk about what the weather's done for the deer. Cause I know I've had a lot of questions. I'm sure you have too. The antler drop seems to be a little slower than normal. And where it's at from all the folks that I network with and, and you and I have seen and and your contacts down in the western part of the state have seen is that we're probably at most 30 to 40% drop and no more than that right now. Um, a lot of folks are saying, man, I'm just not finding antlers. Well, if they have access to, you know, some of the new trail camera technology like so many of our friends do, they will notice that the larger bucks in, in many, many areas of the state are still carrying their antlers. Uh, smaller bucks have lost, but I guess what I'm saying is we're not yet at the peak time to say, hey, now I can go out and really, you know, get with it and expect to, to be looking for most of the antlers that have been shed. And I'm, I'm saying that's going to be mid to late March from what I'm seeing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, we uh, we got a lot of things to talk about here because, you know, we come off of a drought. So I can honestly tell you that I've seen deer drop their antlers earlier than, than ever. And I'm not talking in big numbers, but they're just right there at the last week of, of the legal deer season for this year. And uh, just a couple weeks after it, I, I had deer that did cast their antlers and, and they were off. I I think 
that the cell camera aspect of things is a great way to to look at what your deer are doing but i think a lot of times where people make the mistakes with shed hunting is they go out looking for sheds and they don't actually realize that their property doesn't have the habitat that holds deer in the late season and i and i share that because if folks are not bundling up we can all find those sheds and easy locations where uh, deer are frequently in fields but if you're not walking through stuff that will cut you and make you bleed and what i'm getting at is big thickets and briars and you're not walking the trails from bedding to food sources or you don't even know what food sources are this time of year you're you're looking for something that uh, is not going to be found because you're in the wrong spot so those that have started to shed hunt and have had success are finding sheds where deer are at this time of year. And wherever deer spend the majority of their time, the most part of their 24-hour day, is going to be the locations that tend to have a higher frequency and percentage of being successful successful with sheds. But, you know, it's common at, at fence crossings and creek crossings and anywhere that deer travel on trails that they've got to basically jar their body in, in the landing process or places where deer frequently um, you know those are great places to find shit I, I would put us at about 25 percent uh i would lean more towards the 20 percent uh in my area of of southeast and and uh, you know south central kentucky that i've i've been in already looking and and doing some scouting on deer uh, it's a great time here to scout deer and, and hunt sheds but uh the best is yet to come yes sir well that's that's what I've heard from, you know, virtually everyone that, that I've talked to that really, you know, gets after it and pays attention and has that technology at their disposal. Um, one good thing that's happened, boy, the green up has hit. Uh, hunt, bush honeysuckle is starting to bud out and it's not one of the best plants in the world for deer but boy do they really slurp on it because it's one of the first things that becomes available at browse level which they prefer grass is greening up ryegrass in particular uh, has really really jumped and clover starting to green up from these warm rains boy these warm rains i think is what's really triggered a lot of this early stuff don't you the these root systems got the signal that hey uh it, it's getting right at that 50 degree temperature and, and it, it man it's it's busting of course that scares me because of what can happen with hard freezes going forward especially with young clovers that are being established but that's part of the game this time of year you got to take what mother nature gives you but i think it's important to notice note that the does that are developing their fetuses have good food right now and, and the bucks that are starting to uh, you know, after they shed, get ready. We'll have plenty of food, and their body mass is going to be good because they're able to feed right now. Whereas normally this time of year, food's pretty scarce. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer this time of year um, on any of this trigger or switch. It's it's more controlled based off of the the soil and ground temperature. Which, when warm water's coming in and sunshine, that's what that increases it. You know what makes me excited about it. We all know that these these vegetation changes are going to be set back by cold air, freeze, frost. 
But what's really good about it on the positive side is, you know, the squirrels have a lot to feed on right now. The deer have a lot to feed on right now. Our turkey should be having some things to feed on. All of our game species are going to have an abundance of food early, which this is the hardest time of the year on our game and non-game species. I mean, they're coming off the toughest part of the season, and they've been depleted. Now, where I get excited about this is, man, what will this do to our antler development? It may be that you're sitting there looking at it saying, man, my trail cameras are full of deer already in my food plots, but I'm sitting there looking at it on the nutrition side thinking, man, we just come off of a drought. Deer were hurting on that. We didn't have a ton of vegetation. I'm I'm thinking already ahead for opening day of September bow season because I think we're going to be blessed with some really good racks on our on our male deer, and uh, I think we're going to have some really healthy fawns uh, where the does are going to be able to keep up with lactation and and have good healthy offspring and and all the young you know not just deer and turkey. Uh, hopefully everything's shaping up. You know, all this rain, I'm scared with our turkey population. Um, I'm, you know, I'm seeing seeing a lot of turkey activity, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But uh, you know, our our deer our deer are fat and happy right now. Yes, sir. All right, we're going to go to break here real quick, and then we're going to talk turkey coming back from break. As I mentioned, Scott's fresh back from the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, national convention and uh we'll talk about some unusual things about turkeys so we'll uh we'll get back to you right after this break is presented by smi marine tim addington and staff are ready to help you get ready for the spring boating season go see them remember you never get soaked by my friends at smi and we're back on jim strader outdoors so scott Let's talk turkeys a little bit because their behavior <laughs> ahead of schedule is just kind of like the weather and everything else. Uh, total abnormality, I do want to mention. I have a friend of mine that actually on trail camera showed a gobbler covering a hen, breeding a hen uh, this week. <laughs> I mean, that's just nuts uh, according to anything I've ever seen this early. But they're gobbling on the limb. Uh, they are strutting, falling hens. Uh, obviously, the weather's going to set that back several times before we get up to the real crooks of the mating season, in my opinion. In other words, I don't, I don't think we're going to see a, a situation where most of the breeding is done before the season starts. But it certainly has me scratching my head. Yeah, they're filling their oats, that's for sure. Um, if people aren't seeing gobblers strutting, I guarantee you people are at least seeing where gobblers are starting to roam. Um, our winter flocks have begun to uh, bust up a little bit. You know, the pecking order of things is, is going on. It's it's real common for folks, um, you know, to start listening for turkeys gobbling around the first weekend of march and we, you know we're just i mean we're knocking on that door next weekend and and um i think people are going to be pleasantly surprised with the with the amount of gobbling they hear as long as we've got some you know bright sunshine it's it's more based on that in my opinion than it is actually the temperature but 
you look at the 10-day forecast ahead, and it, it looks like we may rain on the turkeys parade just a little bit, and uh, water and rain tends to kind of slow them down and, and get back into that habit of just kind of, you know, flocking together again and, and uh, going through the, instead of the pecking order of fighting and dominance, just going through the pecking order of staying alive and eating. But uh, I'm I'm glad to see, you know, birds out and about myself, uh, not seeing as many birds as I have in years past, but uh, several of my friends and, and cohorts and people that I collaborate with are, are seeing the same thing. And it's just not Kentucky. It's, it's in several states and, and uh, yeah, they're, they're doing their thing and, and it won't be too much longer. Jim, we'll be, we'll be chasing them. That's exactly right. All right. You uh, just got back from the convention. I'm sure Turkey population dynamics was probably at the top list of, of things that uh, were discussed there. Tell us what the biologists were saying. What'd you hear from the other states? Yeah, so I'm I'm just gonna let the listeners know I'm gonna I'm gonna take my gloves off and swing. Um, I'm fortunate to have the relationships and the responsibilities that I have, and the bottom line, the meat and potatoes on the plate is this, Jim. There's some states that are making decisions based off of what it's going to do to impact them financially, and that means that they are not making decisions based on what's best for the turkey. They're making decisions on what's best for revenue. And hats off to the states and the agencies who are putting together committees with people who are just not employees of the departments for putting the turkeys first and knowing that season date changes and increases in licensing and having new regulations and doing research and studies is not going to give us more time to turkey hunt, and it's not going to give us more tags to fill. The topic of the NWTF convention, once all the shenanigans is over with, with what the newest and the latest and the greatest is, is that we know that turkeys are in desperate need of not just management but attention so that we have a resource that has a huntable population for the future ahead. And the best of the best biologists and the best of the best administrative people in these state and game agencies are admitting that they do not have the data and they do not have the facts just yet to tell what has had this negative impact on the turkey population. But they're standing their ground and letting us know that we're not producing and we're not making as many poaches as we need to to keep up with the man that we've had amongst people like yourself and me that who have, have loved and, and, and turkey hunted for, for many years. We're, we're taking more than we're producing, and, and we're going to have to start changing gears, and we're going to have to start looking at you know some really tough decisions and, uh, and, and putting that turkey first before we, we put the bank account first. Yes, sir. Very well said. And, and uh, I'd like to see Kentucky done a little more, quite frankly, and, and that's going to be a hot topic as we move through the season. Uh, Scott, I, I know that uh, you comport a lot with and have a real good relationship with folks in Tennessee. They've made some big sweeping changes. We got about 
little less than four minutes. Talk about what they've done as kind of maybe a, a point of interest for folks. Yeah, Tennessee hits home to to me and, and the listeners because it's you know it's just south of us and Tennessee in the most recent years. You think back, they were having their main season open in late March, um, the Saturday closest to, to April the first. Four bird limit. Lots of opportunities with quota hunts and WMA hunts for extra birds above the statewide bag limit. But Tennessee has really worked in putting together uh, a committee of working groups of extension agents and individuals to put together a plan and and to listen. And it's going to be where some people don't agree with it. But what Tennessee has done for this coming season is, is they will start their turkey season the same time that we start ours. It'll be April the 15th. And I want the listeners to understand the Tennessee youth season will be later than the Kentucky youth season. I think that's really important. It's it, If anybody knows me, I'm an advocate for youth, but I'm also going to advocate that we start looking at what some of the other states are doing, and Tennessee is being proactive to try to look at making changes and adjustments to help not just improve the the nesting aspect of success but also the reproduction aspect of success and so with that delay it goes back to a person that you have utmost respect for george wright tennessee is saying we realize that you're still going to have good turkey honey but we want season to open later so that those hens and those gobblers can go through the process of reproduction have success so that the hens can be bred, then start hunting. And we have to remember, Tennessee's delaying season a little bit. They're ramped up and a little bit ahead of us based on this geographic location. If they can do that, I'm saying that we probably need to look at what their studies show, because if they're seeing success, then we're probably going to need to follow suit and follow. On top of the now- delays... Um, you know, they're they're putting into place that only one bird can be a jake. So they got a two-bird limit now. Only one of those birds can be a jake. And no fanning or reaping, which is a, a more modern, popular style of, of, of turkey slaughtering or hunting, whatever you want to call it. But uh, no, no fanning or reaping on, on public lands. And uh, their, their farmer limit was, what, four birds? Yeah, it was four, then it went to three, now now they're at two, and only one of those birds can can be a jake. And and so uh, we're not hosting radio tonight to to look at a, a regulation change with, with our turkeys. Um, but, you know, driving in tonight to get ready for the program, I I wish that, that Kentucky would maybe gather a little traffic and momentum with that uh that jake aspect if we're going to stay a two-bird state i'd like to see it changed okay buddy we got to go to break here for the news coming back from break we're going to talk about this debacle that we've got with the uh prohibition of minerals and salt that uh, is indeed law we're going to talk about how that seems to have occurred and uh we're also going to talk about a 
bill that's currently in the legislature, Senate Bill 241. Going to have a lot of impact. We're going to be joined by former Commission Chairman Stuart Rainey, who uh, has looked at these situations, got some deep thoughts about it. So we'll be back right after the news. The break is presented by Paul Thomas. Check out his listings at MOPHART.com. All right, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors, and Scott, we're being joined by former Commission Chairman Stuart Ray. Stuart, welcome aboard. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, Jim, I hear you well. Good to talk to you. Very good, sir. All right, buddy, I'm going to start out with this uh, uh, regulation that has created a firestorm across the state on social media, and that is the uh, regulation that is the law of the land, it went through legislative review process, and it states you cannot have exposed mineral salt on private lands March through July. Now, mm-hmm. I want to point out some facts here. The commissioners, the district commissioners, never voted on the mineral language that was inserted into the reg that has, has become law. There was no even discussion of minerals at the commission meeting where it was pushed. And it, it raises lots of questions. Why didn't Commissioner Storm or Clark, Deputy Commissioner Clark, catch the so-called mistake before or after legislative review? And here's where I'm coming from. Every commissioner I've known for the past 40-plus years always carefully read the regs before and after review. And this points to, sorry, either incompetence or or some type of uh, way to slip something in on the sportsman where that's what happened in the CWD zones. Now, the, the, the law is, is a hot mess, really, the reg that just passed. And it, it, why haven't they posted the amendment and, and admitted to the mistake on the KDFWR website? And that, we need to know from them. Well, and, exactly and Stuart, why? Concern, Jim. Well, and, and why have they made a statement that law enforcement apparently is being told not to enforce the law? I, you know, why are we being held back on, on the knowledge about it? I, I, I can't, for the life of me, understand. First and foremost, how a mistake like this can happen. Now, nobody's no, nobody's perfect, and and certainly. Uh, things do occur, but this is this is passed into law. This isn't just a a typo or a an I not dotted or T not crossed. This is now passed into law. Uh, many 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 sportsmen, myself included, are in violation of this law right now. We actually the timing of it is cruelly ironic, as we've all. Uh, been putting out minerals uh, right now because it's the most it's the most important time to support your 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 deer herd and your your buck antler growth and and uh, you know to get the deer through typically what's a tough time of the year although to your points earlier it's a little milder right now but these mistakes don't happen and beyond just the fact that the commission uh, didn't approve the language in the law that ended up passing. Uh, there's staff within the department that is supposed to uh, read, reread, and reread uh, the, the language that gets approved into law. So 
Yeah, I'm I'm a little more than uh, sus- not suspicious. I don't I don't want to go down that road, but th- this just isn't appropriate for Eastern Kentucky. We don't have really the state as a whole doesn't have the CWD problems, and we all are appreciative and pray we don't we don't go there. But the reality is, this is language for uh, the problematic areas and not language for the balance of the state. It's just absolutely. No, it should not have happened, and I'm sorry. It's a buck stops here situation, as I said, because I've never seen a head of the agency, the commissioner, which uh, Rich Storm currently uh, sits in that seat, that didn't go over those regs with a fine-tooth comb before and after because they're the law of the land. It, it begs two questions. Number one, they need to let – they have an obligation at this point – to let the public know how long it'll take before that law is changed, and it's going to take some time. And number two, who's responsible for this? I mean, there needs to be some accountability here. Yeah, and there's 10 days left in the session. Personally, I don't know how fast you can act on something like this. It still perplexes me that if the department didn't throw their hands up in the air and say, wait, this mistake happened, it went through, how they can't amend it with a week left in the session. I think that there's a week left in the session. Uh, so, yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't have happened, and the buck does stop uh, with the uh, commissioner. However, let- let's get this thing changed. And if anybody that's been on the Department of Fish and Wildlife's website, there is a news alert uh, status on there. It always has these red little uh, flags that says, you know, News alert, news alert. So if what they're telling us is true, and I I want to believe them, that they're not going to enforce it, that there was a legitimate mistake made, let's get that in writing and let's get it on the Fish and Wildlife website. Let's get it posted so us sportsmen can take a little bit of a, a deep breath and realize the fact that we've salted our mineral locations and 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 put these things out for the betterment of wildlife aren't in violation of the law and for law enforcement to recognize they don't have to enforce it absolutely very well said sir i'm going to go to break here because coming back from break we're going to talk about a piece of legislation that golly is 45 pages long it, it uh involves fish and wildlife and and there's some big problems with it from where i sit and Stuart, i would enjoy your your comments so we're going to go to break here folks the break is presented by smi marine go see them they'll take great care of you remember you never get soaked at smi and we're back on jim strader outdoors continuing conversation with former fish and wildlife commission chairman Stuart ray and scott cronin uh, I want to return just for a second here to this situation with this baiting law that this time included salt and minerals. Uh, in conversations that have been relayed to me, I understand or been told that law enforcement is not going to enforce the law, even though it is a law in the books, and that uh, the law will be amended. But here's what I'm going to say, and I, I want the department to pay notice to what I'm saying because they owe it to the sportsmen. The law goes into effect March 1st. That's this coming Wednesday. They need to get out in front of this and let the public know that law enforcement 
will not be enforcing that law so that no one is in fear of having the mineral on their property. And they also need to, to tell us when we can reasonably expect that it'll be changed. That's, that's paramount. And they need to do that to clear up all the confusion instead of relying on folks like me to take that news to the public so they're not in an uproar, but and scared they got to cover up the mineral sites. All right, let's change gears here and talk about Senate Bill 241, which is 45 pages long, but some of the most onerous parts of it, Stuart Ray, to me, are the areas where they're given more autonomy to the commissioner, being at this point Rich Storm, who, you know, I like Rich Storm. He's a nice guy, but... What if the next guy's a really bad guy and they have the ability to enter into these government contracts with no approval from the executive branch finance uh, and administration cabinet? You had dealings like that. And now they're the one to let them enter into contracts with the federal government. And here's what I'm going to say. Those contracts with the federal government are very, very sticky wickets what i mean by that that every i has to be dotted every t crossed the department's failed the last several audits that they've had for mixing of monies on that and more importantly if they can't even get a reg right we're going to turn them loose to have total autonomy on these contracts with which excuse me uh you know that's a recipe for corruption somewhere sure your Jim, thoughts the- about the bill Jim, the uh, well, first of all, forty-five pages is unbelievable, and 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 like most bills and uh, government documents, it is not an easy read. Uh, so it's very challenging to even understand uh, many aspects of it, and some are mundane, but most of them aren't. And in the case you just pointed out. Uh, you know, the Department of Fish and Wildlife's financial balance sheet is complicated. And I'm not going to kid you, as even a, uh, you know, guy that's been involved in business, big business most of my life, it's, it's a complicated uh, uh, issue. You have FILO money, you have federal buckets of money coming in, FILO money that has to be handled appropriately. You have uh, Pittman-Robertson uh, tax funds that come in. Uh, federally that have to be handled appropriately into the letter of the law and you know most uh, coveted and and what needs to be protected is the uh, fish and wildlife uh, license fees that come in support over 50 percent of our budget and that needs to be uh, treated accordingly where is it a, a good idea that we should have less financial oversight if in my experience, is four years on the commission and a couple of years as chair, and actually the two years when I wasn't chair, I was uh, over the administration uh, side, which happened to f- had the finance uh, areas under it. Where is it a good idea to pass a regulation where there's less financial oversight? And if you're doing the good work of the Department of Fish and Wildlife, if you're doing the conventional work that they should be doing, uh, I never had a, we never had a problem with the finance cabinet ever because, you know, you're, you're passing the appropriate funds are going to the right, uh, in the right direction. And, uh, certainly they had oversight, but you welcomed that oversight. And, and, uh, I always worked very closely, uh, with our administration division 
but also never had a rub with a finance cabinet. And I just don't see why anybody would think it's appropriate for them to have, have, have less oversight. And I think it would be an added burden and a cost, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, if they had to staff up and put additional people on in their accounting department. Uh, there are some economies to uh, leveraging uh, people like in the finance department uh, and, and, and certain cabinets and having them help and work with the Department of Fish and Wildlife. It's not, it's not always a bad working relationship. I don't see the positive, I don't see the positive outcome of this. I, I, that is a, a great point, Stuart. And it, 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 it illustrates the fact that they've cut back our, uh, private lands biologists. There's been cuts all over the board. Our, our, uh, conservation officers are grossly underpaid. And what this does, it, it creates another level of bureaucracy up in, in the administrative part of fish and wildlife, while the goods and services that we as sportsmen should expect keep getting cut back. I mean, we don't need a bunch of lawyers going over this. We don't need a bunch of uh, new people to, to ride herd on those federal things without help from finance administration. They, they're not there to upset the apple court. They're, they're there to help keep things straight. And my goodness, well, I'll put it this way. I don't know any other agency in state government where the single person at the head of the food chain, which is what obviously Commissioner Storm is, has this unilateral authority. It, yeah. You know, the bidding process, everything can go sideways. And, and, and I'm not sure what direction this is going in, but, uh, y you know, I've, I've heard the fact that maybe there's concern about their autonomy as it relates to land acquisitions. The reality is, is the Bevin administration, from what I understood, point blank, and it wasn't under my tenure, I was under uh, senior Bashir, Steve Bashir's uh, uh, governor, but uh, they absolutely uh, put a, they, they didn't allow for any land acquisition period under Bevin. I don't know about uh, Governor Andy Bashir's uh, you know, acquisition policy as it relates to land, but I can just tell you in my experience, it wasn't, wasn't uh, the administration that currently is in there that is <clears throat> concerned about land acquisitions. They've been very supportive if they make sense, at least my experience with uh, Governor Steve Bashir is if they make sense and they're in the best interest of the sportsmen uh, to add on to WMAs and to make land acquisitions. I don't, I don't get we appreciate the fact that the department is has autonomy uh but i don't like the fact that they are withdrawing from financial oversight from uh you know the finance and administration cabinet and I, i'm doubly uncomfortable that the legislature would be handing a branch of, of government like fish and wildlife is an open checkbook for one person to be able to do this. That's too much autonomy, and it's just a really bad idea. You know, like, I'll give you a quick example here. 54,000-acre conservation easement in Knoxville and Leslie counties. That's written into this law, and that's crazy. That's, that's too big a deal. There's too many reasons that that belongs under a microscope, so... And, uh, and that's too specific to write into law. 
I think law should be written exactly. for, for governance purposes, not specifically for a one point blank land acquisition. Yeah, 54,000 acres, I might add. All right, folks, that's yeah. Senate Bill 241. The sponsor of the bill is uh, Senator Robin Webb. I am very surprised, and quite frankly, and Robin and I have worked together on a lot of things. I'm very disappointed in this legislation. I think it's a bad idea. Call your uh, state senator and let them know what you think. Gentlemen, thanks so much for your input tonight. Stuart, I'm indebted to you for your uh, wonderful insight into what this could possibly do. Scott, as usual, enjoy chatting with you. Folks, we'll be with you same place, same time next week. God bless everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.